0: Da 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 da. Hello and welcome back to Non-Essential Workers. I'm your host, Marlena. How is everybody doing? How is everybody doing? Today I spoke with my friend George Crotty, Canadian cellist and composer with a unique and diverse background of influences. He is the founder of the George Crotty Trio. They released Four String Nomad in 2019. Uh, They have cross-cultural interplay. They draw on diverse influences within the jazz and world music scenes, including post-bop, modal jazz, Indian raga, and Arabic macam. Following his graduation from Berklee College of Music, George joined a number of ensembles, such as the Canadian Arabic Orchestra, Detroit-based National Arab Orchestra, and New York's Brooklyn Raga Massive. He also served as the cello chair on the North American tour of Broadway musical The Band's Visit. In this episode, we discuss George's artistic influences, his experience playing and touring with Broadway, and how breaking bread and playing music can lead to transformative change and connection. If you'd like to learn more or hear George's music, you can at www.georgecrotty.com. He's also on Instagram, at georgecrotty. As usual, feel free to rate, review, subscribe, share, and most of all, please enjoy. How are you doing? It's been a while. I, I saw yeah. you in Ottawa, right? I remember ah. I saw your duo. But I don't actually I was thinking about it. I don't actually remember. That was probably
1: the last time we were in the same place, yeah.
0: I don't remember. Yeah, I was the, thinking about that. The venue. Do you remember the venue? Yeah,
1: okay. this is a famous story with friends actually. And my friend Um Gabe Gabriel Dubois from Vancouver. Yeah. Uh we were on a tour and um our mutual friend uh Raphael weinroth Brown helped set up something in Ottawa. We played at Avant Garde Bar by the university. And
0: okay i remember um, i saw the show avant-garde where is that i can't even remember right now
1: yeah i haven't spent enough time in in town but it it was just like a very particular vibe i don't want to speak badly but Uh-oh. definitely definitely memorable for some unique reasons but okay. uh, nonetheless raf is like he's a friend and like huge inspiration so it's always good to have some like cello time in person and then i remember what i really remember is you know um we hadn't met and uh, you and your partner at the time, friends of Raph, um, you know, came to, and just had such a good hang. You know, we weren't yeah. in a rush. We went and got some late night food, and you know. So you're in Thunder Bay, right? A yeah, cool and I'm in.
0: Fun- uh, yep. Yeah. Well, we don't have a summer season with the symphony. Um, so we're done after, like, even on a normal season, we're done after April. Mm. So. Um, yeah. So for the summer, I don't know what I'm doing. So I have to figure it out. Yeah.
1: Yeah. The speculation is, has been the hardest part of this year as mm-hmm. things keep changing and like the finish line moves and uh, the layout of the, of the map moves, you know, and then um, yeah, the imagination is a powerful thing. And then you almost squander all of this energy, right? On these hypotheticals or you really get somewhere and then, you know, something mm-hmm. totally changes all of it so yeah with the summer to, I'm trying to not even think about it so much you know we had some hope as things were warming up and comparing to what happened this time last year um but yeah just uh just being present you know that's personally that starts with Bach every day for me or every
0: whatever. day that's awesome
1: yeah that's a it's a bit of a trope and personally there's actually solo cello music I collect connect to more deeply like even the Britain cello suites Mm. um or more modern stuff but uh that's it's a Casals ritual uh from his biography he would start every day at the keyboard or the cello with Bach and
0: it makes sense yeah that
1: guy yeah him and yo-yo really are i think they stand out as like intellectual heroes in for sure in our lineage right cuz you get to a point where you're so good that you really transcend that arena and you can yeah. work on like a higher just even even practically as well the fact that there are people like him or you know a bunch of mentors mike block dave Egar, trevor exter people that have and a huge list I could go on mm-hmm. stephen brown uh, that have really created like quite a niche for themselves in a repertoire that didn't traditionally have a lot of cello if at all mm-hmm. and yeah that's something really exciting where lofty rhetoric actually kind of really comes home into practice because you're you're telling someone how to feel and you're telling them a story when, for reasons that we care about and they necessarily don't all the stuff about pedagogy and Canon and, and whatnot. But there's something there like kind of cultural transliteration is, is how I think about it. You know, even being an outsider culturally in a lot of places being in rehearsals where a lot of people don't speak English and the music has totally different expectations and protocols. So, it's, I mean, it's subtle, but I mean, Yo-Yo is the source of, at least recently, is a, is a big source of all that.
0: Tell me about Indian Raga, because this is something I learned about you this morning when I did some research on you before. I didn't know that, because I, I think I just saw your duo and you were doing more fiddly stuff, yeah. the, kind of jazzy, fiddly stuff, but you actually have a big influence from Raga music.
1: Yeah, my journey with all that stuff, uh, I would tell people generally I'm a modal musician and an improvisatory one. And if you study any folk music or kind of world tradition, you go far back enough and there's all of this DNA in different styles of music completely unrelated that have quite a bit in common, uh, including Celtic music. And there's microtonality and different syncopation in there in there that actually is a almost a surprisingly suitable doorway for a Western thinker into North African music and um, yeah, different different modal or near Eastern traditions. That's definitely kind of where. I've been pulled. And at an academic level, I've spent a lot more time formal study in Arabic makam, for example. But yeah, we were talking about Raga, even even the concept of a scale. Um, it's
0: not really, yeah, it's not really a scale, I guess. But
1: Well, it's a collection of notes. Um, and my understanding, I've been in this, you know, kind of really in the deep end at this point for maybe five years. Uh, and there's a lot And with, I was mentioning kind of cultural transliteration, there's terminology in a language that you can't read. It's a different alphabet. So it's, um, you become, it's a very oral thing and it takes a lot of time to just uh, Mm -hmm. get immersed in it. But a rug um, compared to other terminology of, although it is a set of notes, there's kind of a personality or a character inside that. And you could think about it like a motif or a collection of motifs. Mm-hmm. Is or, it kind
0: of more like a mode, more like a jazz mode rather than a, ska- a Western Yeah. Style?
1: But it's one that's alive and that's fluid. Like, um,
0: It's constantly changing, right? Because you can change certain elements of it and it. Yeah. You know I mean?
1: And even the, even the phrasing, like the Lydian mode, uh, ragyaman. Like, no way. We'll You're going to demonstrate? Right
0: that's so cool. OK, demonstrate. That's awesome. So I didn't know you had can't... a piano there because I can't see it.
1: Here, you'll like this. You'll laugh at my viola playing.
0: Oh, but my goodness. You have a viola there? Damn. It's
1: my travel cello. Cool. <laughs> so for an E flat, mm-hmm. Do is Sa. Sa, Re, Gama, Pa, Ni, Sa. I'm really out of tune with the cool. piano.
0: That's okay.
1: That's like the textbook way to open mm. into the Lydian mode in that one particular rug and I'm not gonna play anything else on the viola that's okay <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't really but instead of just this abstract thing like yeah it's an it's a seven note scale with a sharp eleventh or raised fourth um, specifically yeah shapes and stories inside them mm-hmm. that bring that really bring the notes to life in a way that the concept of uh you know e-flat major and equal temperament can't really get to yeah and, and there's e-flat, a lot of inflection e-flat major
0: is always e-flat major right there's no you don't really change it i mean you change you i mean you change the minor ones slightly but it's it's not even close to the same thing
1: yeah i will say having ventured into these rabbit holes it's uh, paint, I'm doing a lot of session work uh, remotely these days for friends as well. And uh, someone will say, okay, yeah, like, okay, here are some charts, easy stuff, 442. And that is like such a headache. Because um, <laughs> when you play music that happens to move away from the piano, like for these kind of um, musicological reasons, your ear really shifts. And you don't hear things in equal temperament anymore. Wow. Well, well temperament yeah and uh it's it's a lot and it's so subtle right but especially mm-hmm. as a string player like you start to really play the crazy game you know how high is the third at this moment and yeah so yeah. i would warn people if if they want to go exploring you know at at your own risk because it's a it's a <laughs> lot to maintain simultaneously and
0: yeah
1: you, like you were saying you you know we met and i was kind of doing a celtic thing and it's been a challenge to dig into one particular tradition or language, because uh, you know I did undergrad at uh, Berkeley School of Music in Boston, and I'll, I'll sing the praises of that string department for the rest of my life. It's very progressive. It's a very open concept. But the danger in that is that you know, you can kind of find a lot of shiny objects and skate around the surface of very inspiring things. To go deeper, though, takes a, a lot longer.
0: Were you doing mainly, were you doing jazz there, like as your, for your degree, or what were you doing?
1: Uh, A lot of everything. There's a concept that, you know, those are working musicians who are also teaching working musicians. So Mm. there's, there's not a lot of structure and that's, you have to kind of have a plan and it really forces you to, to figure some things out for yourself. Because I guess you're there on a way to, not that, I used to be angry about a lot of stuff, but uh, there's it's not because of our heritage or the you know the school or the canon we might have grown up in but I thought something's definitely pulling me away from this stuff because by the time I went to undergrad I'd played in a regional orchestra for a few years and done some chamber music and like this is great I love this but I am interested in composing I'm discouraged from trying to do both simultaneously in this school of thought and i uh, you know, I had a phase listening to like a lot of metal and.
0: Okay. Berkeley was the, the only UI, place that
1: really reconciled it all. You
0: and Raph have a lot in common then, right? Cause he's, he's definitely a metal head. Yeah, okay. absolutely. <laughs> That's funny. Um, wait, so when you say you were pulled away from, what are you talking about? You're pulled away from classical or yeah,
1: from... classical music. And...
0: Cause that was your base, right? You started, you started on classical.
1: Yeah, Suzuki, Conservatory, Yappa, all okay. that stuff. And I was at a sacred music school, uh, uh, St. Michael's Choir School by Toronto, which was a totally different end of things. Gregorian Chant, Palestrina, uh, mm. all that stuff, theory, keyboard lessons. And I thought, this is great. And uh, it provided a role in society uh, where you're really there. You're providing a service for people. And you when you really see the effect of that, I, that's really stayed close to me. But in terms of the actual repertoire, so I have something more that I want to learn how to say, and I don't know what it is exactly. So I just chased my tail for years. I was studying macam and jazz and bluegrass and uh, West Clare, uh, you know, Irish music, and everything, and pedal boards and music production. Mm. Uh, so.
0: Why is it that some musicians who start with classical can go on to do things like you and a lot of them don't have the desire in some way? Like, why is it that some do and some, and most don't?
1: Well, I can't speak for other people, but it's been over the past couple years, it's been a real privilege to be invited to do like more advanced level workshops mm-hmm. and, and discussions, lessons with people about this sort of material. Anyone in like described kind of professional level, classical musician is highly educated and highly talented. But I think we can agree, at least anecdotally, there's some baggage and there are some <laughs> things that kind of damage us to get to this way that, uh, you know, that there's healthy discussion about right now. How can we reform these things? How can we rescue this music and this community that we really love? So, there's nothing wrong with guess you would hear people oh, bashing classical kids that can't improvise or things like that. that's not healthy
0: no um yeah, I guess I'm wondering what you what your thoughts are on
1: the blocked people, maybe the, yeah,
0: maybe the blocked people, yeah
1: well, it's a completely different skill set, um even the way we practice scale routines and stuff uh they' are different finger patterns and there there's a point in improvisatory music where you can do things with your own hands like i would stop short of actually trying to demonstrate any of this especially because it's a rabbit hole and a little bit um yeah there's this kind of pubescent like jazz flexing that people start to do with this high level (laughs) theoretical practice but say okay like without rehearsing this i want you to do four octaves up in e flat major and then find a pivot note and come down in D, and then go up in C-sharp, and then come down in B-flat, and then it's all at the tip of your fingers because you've practiced all of these things in different sequences. Instead of the ones that we know, whatever whatever those may be, three-finger classical four-octave scales, for example, uh, you go across the neck, all right? So what can you apply in fourth position without moving
0: mm-hmm.
1: and really get into it, and where are the passing notes, and where are the ornaments, and what's comfortable? Uh, So you learn shapes. So um, a lot of people like me found progress playing guitar as as a string player, right? Because that logic um, across the neck exists in electric bass and electric guitar playing Mm. quite a bit. Uh, That's a way in. But what you've said prompts, you know, a big thing with transitioning into music, other kinds of music from a classical or orchestral training is a sense of rhythm that... Mm. uh, classical musicians have such an evolved sense of rhythm following people playing behind the stick things like things like rubato and this and that but it's there's no we're not qualifying it at all but it's very different to be a metronome i'm going to be able to switch perfectly between 16th notes and 8th note triplets in 4/4 at 120 for 10 minutes without breaking a sweat that takes a long time to be able to do. And that's where those two things intersect with jazz in particular. Uh, harmony, you know, it's a, like this four dimensional harmonic rhythmic universe that you have to be comfortable in. And then there's swing feel, uh, which is a triplet feel, which doesn't come up a lot in, in orchestral music. What we refer to as classical music or concert music is Western European generally. Or you know, emphasize there. Uh, jazz comes from Africa, West Africa, maybe at its at its real roots, and then really got to stew and evolve for a long time in in New Orleans. And it's something that's not really in our DNA. And you have to uh, go to the source and just get some of that from osmosis and you understand a particular community and its journey that really helps what you bring to the repertoire.
0: So in these, in these uh, workshops that you did, uh, what, what goes on? I mean, how, how are they structured like for the musicians who are coming in? Cause they're, cause explain what they are first. They're four classical musicians, right? Who wanna learn how to in- improvise?
1: Generally, yeah, I'm working with people that are intermediate to advanced level players who basically want to learn a new style or want to learn extended techniques. A very common thing that people always have questions about is chopping. Mm -hmm. That kind of percussive stuff that comes out of mandolin playing in bluegrass. So that's one very specific thing. And you can take an hour to show someone how to do just that. And it's a funny thing to balance with a one time workshop where you do need to just deliver a little bit of mind blowing inspiration to people, <laughs> which is different and complementary to more stable private instruction. Mm -hmm. So you actually can't get into the weeds as much. So what I'm trying to do is open some doors and I do provide resources in writing or in follow-up with people because I am just paraphrasing all of my intellectual heroes, people like, um, you know, Eugene Friesen, a cellist teaches at Berkeley who wrote a book called Improvisation for Classical Musicians. Mm -hmm. And that was sure like early days for me going through the same process when I was, you know, like 20 giving people permission and giving people the tools to play music from their heart instead of from the paper. They're not mutually exclusive, but when you take the paper away, you have to go inside
0: Mm.
1: and people need to encourage you and educe that inside voice. And you can connect with your inner child. I tell all my students that we play for a living. We play, you know, it's, it's it's something we should enjoy. So Mm. That's the icebreaker, always. Uh, I have to give kudos to Sarah Smolin as well. She's been up here at Sosi, and she teaches in Ontario. But she's from, or she lives in Ithaca, New York, and was very involved in the New Directions Cello Association for a long time. And as a young, like, I don't know, six-year-old, I met her at a Suzuki camp. And her thing, first thing she tells all these people coming in is that there's no such thing as a mistake. Because there's this expectation in a certain kind of music where, yeah, some things are decided in advance and you score yourself depending on what's on the paper. Um, So you play groove games, you play pentatonic scales, you do call and response. Another favorite thing to do is actually get people playing with their feet. I've got percussion bells you use and, yeah, there's this thing in Quebec Fiddle playing called podorhythmi, where you hear it, you keep this pattern with your feet. And I can't do this yet, like play simultaneously, but you put on like hard shoes. Right. And it's just this driving Mm. force under the music all the time. So to give people permission to even tap their feet, right. If someone's been really conditioned, that's like such a taboo.
0: Right. Do.
1: Um, So yeah, there's a lot of unlearning that has to happen. And there's Mm. a lot of creative nurturing. I've been spending a lot of time this year with a book called The Artist's Way mm-hmm. by Julia Cameron. And yeah. there are many books. Um, I That one really connected with me. Mm-hmm.
0: Do you but, do the morning pages?
1: Yeah, I do them every day.
0: Wow, good. Yeah, I, I try. I, I shorten
1: it. I, try, I, I, I always write every day. Sometimes the quantity changes a little bit.
0: Okay. Well, how early do you get up? Is it, do you really, or is it just morning when I get up?
1: It's okay. morning when I get up, yeah. Okay, that's um, fair. There's a real, I mean, all this modal music as well. I can't overlook a kind of spiritual element to a lot of this practice, Indian classical music and in classical Arabic music, there's a concept of tarab Mm -hmm. where you're like really transporting, you're opening a door. And like, similarly to my choir boy years, you're really providing an experience to people through sound. And Mm -hmm. a, a Muslim friend, um, who I, you know, met studying Arabic music. Uh, I would go to mosque with him, and uh, these microtonal scales, which we call maqams, is what a Quranic um, cantor uses during during the services. So when you're studying musically, um, like there's no difference analytically under a microscope from you know. But there's this idea in religion that text becomes kind of divine in some way, and it's more than music. Uh, so without any disrespect to that, I was really drawn to it from a sound and there's an intention in some of that sonic setting that I've tried to really bring into music and as an improviser, you can talk about it in different ways, but like opening the heart chakra for yourself mm-hmm. and allowing that for other people where you can get to the heart of the matter. You want to induce a sense of love in, mm-hmm. um, in everything you're doing. So getting up and starting... The day personally with Bach, that's like my symbolic start to that to that work every day. And it this tangent does come back; it's coming back around right now. I'm not going down a huge <laughs> rabbit hole with something like the morning pages, where you have this devotional thing you're doing for yourself, but it's a lot higher, right? Just because it's a little bit ritualistic. So this friend of mine, Faris, says, you know, so Muslims pray, pray five times a day, and like if you get up late, there's a morning prayer. There's a specific text. So even if you get up at two in the afternoon, you say the morning prayer, like it's mm. like it's not good to do it late, but you still right. have to do it. So I th- I'm trying to be a lot better at that. Um, getting up with the sun, when you get out of bed, like what's the first thing you do? Stay off your phone, Right. Not don't enough. respond to anything, hit the paper um, and hit your practice, whatever it is. Do you paint? Mm. Uh, do you dance?
0: Tell me what it was like on, doing the Broadway show. Like, did you guys finish your tour or was that cut short because of COVID?
1: The tour was cut short and it's still tentative. So I, and technically I'm not supposed to really talk about it, but uh, I can say they're hoping to to reopen the show by the end of the year. Okay. And uh, I would go back. I don't know how long. uh, One... Thing at a professional level kind of behind the curtain is to see the difference between like the psychology and the and just the protocols with all the unions because most I mean the largest represented were actors in equity, but to be working with people from myyazi and there were some other we were at AFm uh, yeah it's a fascinating process and it's really like working on like a nuclear stub all the time there's so much going on
0: mm.
1: and that pressure is um, is really there and it's not a negative thing but like it's a reality of like being in a submarine you know like (laughs) there's a lot that can go wrong and there's a lot that can influence your day-to-day thoughts about all that kind of stuff but that the show i was working for called the band's visit is really unique in how immersive the band is on stage you know we're in costume and blocking and we actually finish the show you know we get the last bow and kind of play an instrumental number to finish.
0: Oh, awesome! show
1: because it's called the band's visit so we are a little more central than than previously yeah (laughs) it was the first time i really connected like a deeper level with stagecraft because we were on stage in costume there was no separation right um
0: were you based in new york then to do that or or uh,
1: this was a tour actually so it it ran a sit down on broadway for a few years and then i was hired with a with a friend um coincidentally to, to tour the production North America and it was North American cause it came to Toronto <laughs> instead of just like <laughs> right. us, you know, right. But that was fun, um, you know, to see people and to kind of bring that space to people I knew here, like, um, you know, I play with Tom power in, a, in an Irish session, but it was really cool to come in and like play on cue with, um, with the show. Another Canadian Chalina Kennedy was starring in the female lead at the time. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, it was it was really fun to I haven't done any Mervish work in town and that kind of thing, so it was cool to have a peek in into some of that stuff. But moving every week, you're living in a financial district. the The touring schedule of a show like that, um, you know, Mamma Mia toured, I think Wicked toured, like that as well. Uh, there was a big one. Other friends were involved in Les Mis across the U.S. Mm-hmm. So a touring itinerary is set up with these different theaters and presenters. So you can have something in the books in contract for like a few years in advance. Mm-hmm. And on a tour, the shortest you're in a theater is a week, which is six right. days. And then Monday is your travel day. Your pay is split into salary and per diem. So okay. the per diem is not taxable. And that's intended to cover your expenses on the road. So a lot of people, you're balancing these things. How, do, how close do I want to be? How mm-hmm. much privacy do I want from my coworkers?
0: Right Because after a while, you need some space,
1: yeah, and you also can't <laughs> disappear or because they're your safety net, and for better or for worse, the distance really creates distance, and it's even more compounded when you're traveling all the time mm-hmm. uh, i I mean I relate to that, I really painfully miss a couple of friends that live overseas, right mm-hmm. and these anchors of yours that are remote when you're moving that much it's it's even harder to kind of stay in touch with people, so it's it, it's all of these balances, and then you know if you live if you stay farther away from the theater and usually in the financial district, right? It's cheaper, but then there's time and money to commute. And it's, it's a lot of things to consider. Um, my favorite part of the show, I mean, besides the actual work, um, so it's set in Israel and uh, there's an, we're Egyptian musicians. So there were people um, in the band and in the cast that had Israeli and Egyptian or uh, Palestinian backgrounds so Saturdays we would do, um, or Friday nights, um, usually we would do Shabbat and just like uh, potluck and, you know, spend the evening together, play a little music and laugh a lot. There were really, really good cooks mm. in the company. So that was the highlight, like almost every Friday. And wow. Yeah. That learned, so I fun. mean, in particular, like I made falafel last night. So a friend of mine showed me how to do that in the oven. So there's no deep fried guilt. <laughs> my family's um uh, ashkenazi so you know origins in eastern europe uh before coming to canada and i was raised not uh you know not a practicing jew um but culturally a lot of that is there um what's interesting about it all is because i mean my family doesn't really i mean we're no one's israeli so like it's hard to despite this whole thing baked into the religion about like the right of return and how that's been politicized um yeah the one thing i am very openly like very vocal about is being very pro palestinian cuz studying uh this music the way i did in undergrad um some of my best friends are from uh yeah they're uh palestinians jordanians um lebanese egyptian and to really humanize some of that some of that lived experience was i'm very eye opening uh, to me, and there are double standards and rhetoric here that, um, you know, that are unfortunate. It's it's not that simple though. Like you know, I'm close to a lot of Israelis as well, some of whom are very anti Netanyahu and all of the government there. So things get you know heightened in all of these very kind of either-or binary, us versus them kind of ways, which is unfortunate. But there were Palestinians in the show that you know, made the point they would rather be world-class advocates of their culture and of their community in a difficult situation than, you know, try to be, you know, proud, too proud to, to engage and do all this BDS and all of this hostility that's frankly not working, you know, especially with what the Trump administration did. I think it's really been eye-opening to me to how to walk the walk of being an advocate and and having an activist element to to what you can do with your career musically, uh, you know, it's easy for us to show up and play at an event, but how do you do more than that? Um, is something that I really grapple with, um, and something I'm trying to actually educate myself in a lot more right now. So a lot of the things that we reach for just kind of ring hollow and are self gratifying eventually. I am a recovering cynic, you know, it's been about 10 mm-hmm. years in the process. <laughs> so, but how to, and how to do that positively, how to really bring people together. Uh, in particular in Canada, I mean, it's, it's a, a raw nerve for people uh, because how do I, like someone like me, how do I authentically really over time consistently deliver and show up as, um, you know, as like an ally and an advocate uh, particularly for uh, indigenous rights or, or lack of uh, justice in, uh, in Canada in that particular way. Like, cause it would just seem, I think again, being cynical, it would just seem opportunistic to try to invite someone to collaborate because of who they are
0: right, yeah. on
1: paper. Uh, but I would, there's something more I would like to do and I'm struggling with how to do it in a way that looks and feels and really is wholesome hmm. and and authentic. Because otherwise, what are we doing? You know, we're just like living in this nice little vacuum in the conservatory or whatever, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. What is it that you would like to do? Do you have an image in mind or is it just kind of a feeling right now?
1: Well, I would like to help and... Calling people to action is the easiest way to do that. Musicians bring people together, like we're inevitably social creatures, right? Mm-hmm. in the concert hall or in a dance club we that's you bring people together, and the this Shabbat story I was telling was was the same thing like these universal equalizers uh to use culture like to it's really hard to hate someone when you break bread with them or to play music or to really connect with them it's good for you know someone as a human it's nutrients to like to have music around or to study music but when you can really harness it and synergize it with community needs as well you know mm-hmm. how do we mourn how do we celebrate how do we process things how do we rally people to to show up and advocate for themselves or advocate for the people that that need the support i remember We were in Washington on tour when uh, Bolsonaro set the Amazon on fire and I couldn't sleep. Like, why should I live this life and have no responsibility and take no action for something that affects me and everyone just because we can't see it right in front of us, you know? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So so I'll just keep, um, you know, tripping over myself about this. Uh, Yeah. It's definitely a, a burden we i think we're
0: and a responsibility i guess
1: yeah and yeah because we're cultivated to be sensitive and um and we i think it's why artists tend to be a little bit more left in general like we're we're aware of these things and um you know in, a, in a kind of a tangible way i don't know what to do about it but yeah thinking about it and you know really grappling with it is the only Thing that seems to help at the moment
0: well thank you so much i i don't i want to be cognizant of your time as well
1: oh yeah we've been having um, fun for a while
0: yeah i i'm very honored to speak with you and thank you for yeah thank you for being here
1: yeah thanks thanks for reaching out it had been a while and hopefully you know through all this we can we can find a way to stay in touch you yes know, music I'd like and that. maybe you can help me learn how to shift on the viola for <laughs> <laughs>
0: sure and then you can teach me good things about improvisation that'd be very yeah. fun yeah i'd love to yeah thank you so much george Go on. Yeah. yeah thank you bye see you soon Da-da-da